So typically when you go through a parent's divorce, you're either avoidant or anxious. I would say when I'm in a relationship, I actually lean more anxious, which is weird because if you know me, that is like, it was pretty surprising. So I would say I'm actually a little bit more anxious when I'm in the relationship and me not wanting to date as of the past year is honestly just a byproduct of uh, the relationships that I've been in. Like, it's more of like if I were to meet like the love of my life, I'm sure I would start dating him. But like, unless I meet that, I'm just not someone who like, I've never been the person who entertains like random people, but like, it's not like my natural response. So I think I was more anxious and now I have a secure attachment. That's another thing I worked on in therapy. Part of it was I wanted to get to a place where I was like securely attached and then the other part is that I just like haven't met anyone that like I care about. And I the other like I love my life so much as as it is and I fill it with like so many great people that I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur. And I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Kenzie Elizabeth. Kenzie is a lifestyle and wellness content creator, podcaster, YouTuber, and entrepreneur. And she hosts the, the podcast, I Love You So Much, which I was so grateful to be a guest on. And I love their conversation so much that I definitely wanted to bring her on here to get into her story and have her share her insights. So without further ado, let's get this conversation going. And welcome, Kenzie Elizabeth, to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Kenzie, what up? Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Um, Oh, also, uh, my voice is a little bit raspy from this weekend, but it's back, so don't worry. You were in Nashville all last week and then through the weekend, and what was that experience like? I love Nashville. I'm a Texas girl through and through. I love Dallas. I love where I live. I love everything about it, but I just that's the only other city that I would move to. Not fully necessarily, but I just, I love it. I love, it's it's like creative and has a lot of different industries in one place, but more specifically it has country music, which is like the love of my life. So I just love Nashville. Yeah. And I think it's a great spot for, I mean, not just people of any age, but I would say specifically people like in their 20s, in their 30s that are looking to have a good time, listen to live music, be around people. And one of the things that I I highly respect you for is that you, I wouldn't say you've mastered because we all struggle, but you've done a really good job at navigating your twenties, right? You got your own house, you got your own business. You've been a creator for a long time. You have a successful podcast. You seem very mature for your age, but if you had to give like a few tips to the audience that are relevant for someone who's maybe 20, 30 or 40 that have been like keys to your success in like not falling into a drug addiction or not like ending up like dropping out of college or whatever and doing something like else, like what would they be? So I think a lot of my like quote success, like at the house and certain things didn't just, I didn't start that in my twenties. Like I've been working since I was 16. So that's kind of like an unrealistic thing. But the biggest advice I have for navigating your twenties, which is like probably the biggest theme of my podcast now, because 
so many people are struggling in their 20s, including myself. It was when I started opening up and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm so confused. And I think as someone that he will look at online who thinks like has it together, I think that it like hit more. But the one thing that's really helped me in every aspect of my life was like leaning into uncertainty. I am an anxious person. I like having things like I, I like knowing what I'm doing and doing it well. So when I got to a point where I was like, okay, I actually don't know anything and I need help. I realized like your 20s really are just full of uncertainty, which like that to me is a nightmare. Like uncertainty is the last thing that I'd ever want. When I started like leaning into that is when I think personally, I developed a ton career wise. It helped me a lot. Just in every aspect of my life, like I don't think that uncertainty, like it was reframing uncertainty from being a really, really scary thing to an exciting thing. And then also leaning into that discomfort and just honestly, like the misery that uncertainty brings me um, has really helped. Right. And I think we're, what we're seeing now is this rise in anxiety issues, these the rise in mental health issues, specifically amongst kids right now with, with everything that's gone over the last few years, the technology, social media, and it just can become so easy, I think, to fall into that trap of letting the like un- the uncertain times or what's going to happen in the future, like get to you. So like, what are some of the things that you've had to, to do to embrace uncertainty other than just like changing the way you viewed it, going to therapy and that sort of thing? Therapy, honestly, is the number one. I, I would also say, I don't know if this makes sense, but for me, I feel like I changing my mind on what I wanted seemed like the scariest thing in the world. And it wasn't that I changed like every single thing that I wanted, but I was just holding myself to a person that I no longer was. So with the uncertainty and navigating that, a lot of it was also allowing myself to not just change, but also like allowing myself to change what I wanted because I think you can change like behavioral things or you can change certain like routines in your life, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, what I wasn't allowing myself was to be like honest with myself and saying like, I no longer want this. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's just what came to mind. It was just, I'm just, I think I'm a little bit of a stubborn person too when it comes to like my relationship with myself. And so uh, because I started working so young was kind of holding myself to like things that I wanted at 17 and 20 and I'm 24 now. Like I'm not going to want any of that. I won't even want what I want now probably in two or three years. So allowing myself to change my mind was a really big thing. And I think culturally right now, like that you're not allowed to change your mind. That's just like not a thing. And so I think that that also kind of like translated to me where I was like, I have to say the exact same. And change was really scary, but it ended up like basically saving my life. I would be so miserable without it. Yeah, that, may, that makes sense because I think you see this a lot where there's these societal norms that get placed on people in their 20s that they're like, all right, I got to graduate high school. And it's like this this level, this level, right? And then you the next level is after you graduate high school, you graduate college, and then maybe you go to graduate school and then, or maybe you don't, then you get a job, then you're married, then you got the white picket fence and you have the kids. And I think that's where uncertainty can trip people up because a lot of that, like getting the, the good job and finding the, the right partner and having kids, a lot of that's like out of our control, right? And I think that's where uncertainty can really bring people down is when they're focused all on that. So it, it makes total sense that you were able to to lean into that part and and really embrace like what you wanted instead of like what you thought society maybe wanted for you. And so other than like, what what, do, what does that look like? Because I know you talked you one of the things you talk a lot about and that you're really good at is like knowing yourself 
and going after what you want and not letting what other people are doing, like whether it's pertains to relationships or their career or whatever, like get to you, like what are some of the biggest keys to keep you focused on you and what you want? So I think I talk a lot about the like both and concept too. And I, my entire life, I feel like I've just had a really good, like strong sense of self. And then I did get to a point where I was like, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't know what I want. And I got to a very extreme sense of like, I have literally no idea what I want or who I am at that point. And when I got there, it was a very confusing time in my life and a very bad time in my life. I think when I graduated college, I had this idea of, okay, well, I'm going to marry this guy. I'm going to move here. I'm going to buy a house in this state, but I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do this career-wise, whatever it was. And that all like crumbled all at once. And thank God it was the best thing that ever happened to me. But I did have this idea for what my life was going to look like. And then it went a totally different way. So when I got to the point where I was just very lost, so like practical things that I did, I think spending a lot of time alone is really important, but also a lot of like intentional time alone. Journaling for me has been the most helpful tool that I could ever recommend to anyone. But I think specifically for me, I talk about morning pages a lot where I just do it honestly throughout the day, but you write, you don't, their pen doesn't leave the paper for like three pages or 10 minutes, whatever you want. And I started writing out things, especially when I was reacting to certain things emotionally or whatever it was. I started writing things and things came out of me that I would have never even realized were still bothering me. So I really got to know myself a lot better through journaling, specifically morning pages. As someone who like sometimes has a hard time identifying where my emotions are coming from, that was a big thing. Working out has always been a huge thing, just getting movement for me because it helps me mentally. So getting into like a better mental health space, also allowing myself to act my age was a good thing. Like most people I think will be like getting really healthy and whatever, which is incredible and important. And I think that's just always kind of been a pillar of my life. But like going and spending time socially with friends also that have known me for a long time have helped. But I would say the biggest thing was alone time and solitude and journaling and reading different books. I read so many books, read The Defining Decade. That was a really good one. That's a controversial book, but I did like parts of it a lot. A lot of it was just like alone time. Yeah. And the morning pages is, is a great routine. I think Julia Cameron, I think, wrote the book about it. I think if that sounds familiar. And alone time is something that is, is so important. And I, I often will say that you feel way more alone, like spending time with the wrong people than you ever will, like intentionally spending time by yourself. But I think a lot of people, they're in a way just codependent on the energy and the views of others that they, they can't leave that. Like they can't have a night or a day without having something going on. So what were some of the like things that you did like early on when you, other than journaling, when you started to spend more alone time, like how did you embrace like the discomfort? Cause I got to imagine like coming from a place where you were super social, like going out a lot and then having to really spend time like alone. Like I'm sure that was tough. Yeah. I also got hobbies. So like I started reading a ton. Also the years leading up to this would have been my like 2021, early 2021 into 2020. The years leading up to that, I was with people 24 seven because I was also in college. So you're just always around people. I had roommates, like I was just never alone. And I actually am someone who craves alone time. My relationship I think with solitude and just being alone over time has changed. Sometimes I've loved it, sometimes I've feared it. And I think when I got to the point of really fearing it was really scary for me. But I just, 
I got a lot of hobbies. I also work alone, so I do spend a lot of time alone, but that's different than like intentionally spending time alone. So cooking was a really big one. I love, I literally blast Texas country. I get a cookbook out. Like I have a cookbook literally right next to me. Like I was just looking up recipes to make this week. And then cooking, whatever. I'm not a huge TV person either, so I just like music. Reading is a huge one. I read 100 books last year. I love reading. It's my like one of my favorite things to do. I love going on walks. I work out every day. So like even going to like a workout class on my own, I love, I love working out with friends, but I also like love just not having to talk to anyone. I do like morning walks and like I do a lot of like morning solo walks, things like that. But I think like my two main things were... I mean, three, I guess, were journaling, cooking, and reading. Right, right. And I think that's an important point you brought up and that you kind of, you have to find some hobbies to, to fill that time with because otherwise you'll just get bored really quick. And when you get bored, the first thing you're going to want to do is like text your friends or um, like just zone out, like watching Netflix all day, every day, which has its place, but it's probably not the best habit to do all day, every day. And, and then maybe if you end up just getting so bored and you're so uncomfortable with, with where you're at alone, you don't find any place to put that energy, you'll end up like going back to some of the same like friends, places, people, that sort of thing. I know one of the things that you talk a lot about is, is embracing change and knowing your worth. And I think people struggle with this no matter what age they're at when it comes to like the people they spend time with. And so if you could talk a bit about like, how you like some of the changes you've made maybe in the people that you spend time with and how you learn to accept that that some people weren't were just not meant to be in your life anymore organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high quality ingredients each organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. This includes Organifi Green Juice, which I am now using in my smoothies, either after a workout or for a great on-the-go snack. It's loaded with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Cutting down on caffeine is a big initiative of mine as we head into the new year, and Organifi's Red Juice is going to help me do just that. It's basically a superfood fruit punch that gives me a jolt of energy without the caffeine, and it only has two grams of sugar. If you aren't into smoothies, don't worry. Organifi products are super easy to mix, and you can add one scoop to a glass of water. So go to www.organifi.com forward slash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Doug and use the code Doug for 20% off any item. Now back to the show. So I think the way that I view certain friendships or relationships phasing out of life has helped me a lot because I don't look at people who are no longer in my life. One, I don't think I'm an angel. So like, I don't always think that it's someone else's fault. But two, I think sometimes people are just not meant to be, whether that's romantically or friendship wise, or sometimes they are meant to be only at a certain time. Uh, With that being said, I actually have a lot of friends that I've been friends with for 15 plus years. I do have a good amount of people that are like just kind of constants in my life. And then like my best friend, Dom from college, but it, I think it's a very difficult, people just don't like change. Like no one likes change. And I was someone who, for whatever reason, I love to lie to myself and say like, I'm happy or like, I like these people or I like the way these people make me feel. And it's kind of something that I'm like taking constant inventory because I have noticed over the years, especially in dating, 
with I'm with someone, even though I should not be with them, I would rather just stick it out than break up with them because it's easier to do that. So I'm just constantly like taking inventory of my life and who I'm surrounding myself with. Or even this week in Nashville, like I was spending time with my friends, Julie and Hunter Havens, who I adore. And just the way they think about life, I'm like, I want to be around that stuff more. Like they inspired me. So I'm never trying to like put myself in this mold of this is who I, like this is, the end of it and these are the only people that I spend time with but looking at it as not necessarily a bad thing has helped um and then also to say taking constant inventory I also think like the people you surround yourself with honestly is probably the most decision like the most important decisions you'll be making on a day-to-day basis like guess who you marry is the most important but I think even just the people you're around day-to-day because they either make your life much bigger or much smaller so it's just something I'm taking inventory of constantly Right. That's really, really smart for you to do that. And I think you made some super valid points. And I think the other thing that's important too with the world we live in is like paying attention to your relationship with social media because like who you follow, what you watch, what you listen to, like that becomes part of your inner circle as well. I want to go back to something that you said. You talked about staying in relationships like longer than you should. And I think this is a good maybe segue for us to get into your childhood. Like, do you, I know that your parents were divorced and it had an impact on you and and that and the family dynamics of all that I'm sure maybe has impacted certain relationships in your adulthood. So do you think that part of the reason you've stayed in relationships too long is because you just saw like what the divorce did and didn't want to feel that way? Yes. And it's weird because I've always said I thought I would be a lot more like messed up in a relation like relationships because of my parents divorced. It was just like a rough divorce. And I didn't realize it until probably a year ago. And I was talking to one of my other like childhood friends who had a very similar story. And I was like, do you think the reason that we stay in these things longer is because our parents are divorced? And it's kind of like this thing of trying to make something work. I definitely think that's probably, I don't think that's a hundred percent the reason, but I think it's probably the majority of the reason. I also think as a girl who is has had more success at a young age and is a boss who like legitimately is a boss not like a girl boss but I mean like actually the boss and like I just done well financially I think in college specifically I was with people who like literally didn't have jobs on top of that so I was just constantly trying to make myself smaller to fit into these like positions not that I was better or worse I was just in a different stage of life And I was trying to make myself smaller to fit into these things. And then I would get like emotionally attached. So then I wouldn't want to leave. And I'm a very loyal person, which I think is actually pretty bad quality in a lot of areas of my life. So yeah, I think a lot of it was, I think it was mainly the fact that my parents are divorced. And then the second thing would be, I was already making myself so much smaller that I was just like attached. Right. Well, and I think being loyal, it's it's a great quality to have. But like you said, it can definitely have like negative qualities too. Like I know from my own experience of growing up from a divorced home and having it be like super rough and unstable and stuff that it's made me want to stay with people longer because I saw disloyalty in a way when I was growing up. And I wanted to, to practice that like in my adulthood. And it's gotten me into some tricky situations as well. And I understand that like the, the whole family dynamic situation of divorce can really have some negative impacts on people specifically like when, when they're younger, because 
they're as they're growing up, they're trying to figure out like where certain patterns are coming from or why certain things are playing out in their life. And a lot of it can point back to that. So like what's some of the work that you've had to do like on yourself to kind of heal from that situation that you grew up in so that you don't end up repeating it in the future? So the first thing I did, my family is just like very emotionally reactive and I moved and I love my family, by the way, love them. Every family has problems, but my family is extremely emotionally reactive and I hate that. And I was emotionally reactive growing up. So the first thing I did, I moved to LA when I was 17 was work on, this was just like something I did with myself. Like I don't want to be emotionally reactive, not in the way where I'm like repressing my emotions, but in a way of like you can respond to things better. I wasn't emotionally reactive within like a social dynamic, but I was within family. So I just didn't want to be like, like my immediate, like I didn't want to give an immediate reaction to things anymore. And that took time. I don't know if I would have ever been able to do that had I not moved away from my family. That was really helpful. My other thing hugely has been therapy. There's been, I mean, there's a lot of other things caused my parents' divorce growing up too. Um, I'm currently actually tomorrow starting it's either EDMR or EMDR. I think it's EMDR therapy. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so I'm starting that tomorrow, which we've been talking about doing for a year. So that's another thing that I'm doing like specifically. But a lot of therapy too has just been like, I think when you grow up in a more tumultuous environment, you think that that's your like the normal because that was your normal. So right. identifying what was healthy, what wasn't healthy and I don't want to like repeat these patterns for my kids and like my family or even just myself personally. Mm. So it's been a thing that I'm like, I want to get ahead of it for later, but also for now, because it obviously like affects you. No, I mean, I think it's very admirable that being that you are in your twenties, you're, you're taking action now so that you can be proactive about it. So that like in the next few years, five years, 10 years or whatever, when you have a, when you have a family, it doesn't creep up on you then. And then it causes all sorts of problems within the family. And now you got to go back and do the quote unquote, like reactive work where you're trying to like patch up problems. So from my, my own experience, and I don't know if this is your experience, but I just want to share just to see if this is the case with you. It, my parents' divorce created a lot of intimacy issues with me and commitment issues. Like when I was younger and I was afraid to get into a relationship, I was afraid to like commit to things because I was in fear that it was going to end up like my parents before I, you know, I started going to therapy for it and all that, that thing. Have you noticed that pattern with you now? Cause I, I've heard you say that like, there's times where you just don't even like want to talk to guys and that you're not into the hookup culture and everything. So you just kind of just run your own race and you just are, are happy alone. I'm sure partly, are, do you know anything about attachment theory? Yeah. Okay. So you're probably avoidant attachment theory, right? Right. I mean, yeah, I, I probably say I'm yeah, more avoidant than, than anxious. So typically when you go through a parent's divorce, you're either avoidant or anxious. I would say when I'm in a relationship, I actually lean more anxious, which is weird because if you know me, that is like the, I am the most independent person out of anyone that I know socially. Like it was pretty surprising. So I would say I'm actually a little bit more anxious when I'm in the relationship and me not wanting to date as of the past year is honestly just a byproduct of uh, the relationships that I've been in. Like, it's more of like if I were to meet like the love of my life, I'm sure I would start dating him. But like, unless I meet that, I'm just not someone who like, I've never been the person who entertains like random people. 
I'm just not, it just like sounds like too much work to me. And like, maybe I should do that in my twenties. Like I, I go back and forth on it all the time, but like, it's not like my natural response. So I think I'm actually more, I was more anxious and now I have a secure attachment. That's another thing I worked on in therapy. I also read so many books on it. This, there's a book called Attached that's really helpful if anyone's yeah, listening. Awesome. Yeah. It's so good. Um, so anyways, part of it was I wanted to get to a place where I was like securely attached. And then the other part is that I just like haven't met anyone that like I care about. And I love, like, I love my life so much as, as it is. And I fill it with like so many great people that I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. Yeah. And at least you have the awareness to, to know all this, right? Because I think a lot of people go through life, whether it's in their 20s, their 30s or 40s or whatever, and they just end up like dating the same person the over and over again. They're like, oh my gosh, why am I in the same relationship with the same person with a different face? Or why am I always unhappy? And they have no self-awareness. And again, I give you a lot of credit for at least going to therapy and developing that and doing like the reading to understand like, where you're coming from, from all this. And I mean, I think you're right. I, I think there's so many people that just date to date, right? And that becomes an addiction, right? I think a lot of times these dating apps get used as an addiction. They're like, oh my gosh, who's going to like me today? Or who can I go out with to fill this void inside of me that I haven't been able to fill myself. So I'm just going to seek it out from other people. And I think you're doing the right thing. And I know one of the things that we talked about on when I came on your podcast was building confidence. And I know we both love the way Ed Milet frames it. So we're going to go, we're going to go a different route. So other than what Ed says, like, it's so easy, I'm sure to become unconfident in your world, right? Being somebody in their early twenties who is on social media a lot, some of your friends are in relationships. Maybe some of your friends are getting married. Maybe even some of your friends are having kids, like all the things, like what are some of the things that you do consistently to help you maintain your level of confidence? When I think about it as a like little girl, my dad has instilled confidence in me from day one. And I don't think he was ever intentional. And I mean, he probably was intentionally doing this, but like from day one, I always said like, my dad genuinely thinks that I could be president, not in the way that he thinks I'm this like perfect child, but he just truly is like, if you want to do it, you can do it. Which a lot of my confidence and success goes back to like, I just had a dad who always told me I could do it. So I believed him. So I think that that was a really big thing. And then also, obviously, like comparison is a thief of joy. By the way, like all of us have very insecure moments. I think like that is so obvious. Every single person deals with it. But I am really good at noticing if I'm starting to compare. And then I just try to like, I, I really monitor my thoughts. I sound like a like hippie or like therapist on this this recording, but just so everyone knows, um, we had court mandated therapy for my parents' divorce in the fifth grade. I've had a lot of time in that chair. So like everything I say really probably does come from my therapist. I don't know. I think the second that I start looking at someone else and I'm comparing in that way, whether typically it's like, oh, they're further along in their career or they have this and I don't, or they got this, this opportunity that I didn't get. I just like I will get off of the abs and like focus more on myself. And the more I've created a life like in real life that I love and I surround myself with people that I love and I do things that I really enjoy, it's made me so much more confident because I'm so proud of the life that I've created outside of my career that that has like oddly been the most helpful as far as confidence goes. But also I've just been on the internet long enough to see like 
people have their come up and their come downs. They'll come up 10 years later. Like I'm just, I like try to think very big and like, okay, well 20 years from now, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, so I think a lot of it came from my dad at a young age. And then it's just like trying so hard not to compare, which is obviously right. very difficult. For sure. Cause I think anytime you're comparing yourself to somebody else, it's, it's super easy to let that affect your confidence, right? Especially if they have something that you don't want, like whether it's a relationship or more money or better health, like you just fill in the blank. And that's why I think, like you said, it's so important to stay focused on yourself and run your own race. And also you've been in the game for a long time. This isn't like, it's not like you came on YouTube or started your podcast like this year, you've been doing it for what, nearly 10 years, I guess, or maybe longer than that. So uh, like, what are some of your best practices, I guess, for like navigating, like how to, like what you share on social media? Cause I know like your career essentially is based on you putting your life on social media, but I think it can be negative sometimes when you're almost using social media to vent or to emotionally dump about stuff. And like, so how do you create boundaries with that? I think this has changed a lot throughout the years for me, like my I've had the same like OG YouTube friends since we started basically and when we were younger I feel like we really just shared whatever boyfriends like is the I when I think of like what I keep private it's normally dating but like we were a lot more open in certain times and I'll go through periods of like I'll randomly have like three months where I'm like I don't want anyone to know anything about my life like I don't want to share anything but I think like my like superpower a lot of the time is vulnerability so it also sucks when like I don't want to share things and then I feel like I need to because like that really is me over time I think it just changes in different like times or seasons of my life so like in college of relationships were shared that was mainly because I really didn't even have a choice whether or not to share it because that was just like my life set up there was just either I didn't vlog or I like there was really no, no way around that um, and then as I got older and more post-grad, I think I don't really share my social life in Dallas much at all. Like if I'm vlogging on the weekends or whatever, it's really not a friend's of like a restaurant or something. And it's like on my phone. I just don't share as much of my social life. And that's mainly out of like respect for my friends. And also like they have jobs and like, I'm not going to like post a video of them drinking on the weekends or whatever. And then um, I, I don't know. It just depends. I think emotionally if I'm currently going through something I really don't like to dive into it until after the fact where I have something that's actually like helpful unless I feel like in that moment it's helpful to both me and the audience like I'm just not someone who's gonna like sit and vlog crying and on like my bathroom floor and like sometimes that works for people but I just know for the most part for me that is not a healthy way for me to cope with something so it just depends. But again, like, I think that probably works for some people. We're all wired differently. Right. Yeah. I've always heard it's best to like process your stuff like privately and then go on and share like lessons or nuggets you learn, you've learned from that situation to try to help like the audience. If that's the route you're trying to go, like if you're somebody who is in the space of sharing your life online, have you, since you, I mean, you've been on the internet for a long time doing what you've been doing have you noticed it impact your ability to form like deep, meaningful relationships? And the reason I ask this is that you see a lot of times you look at families like that are out to dinner together and they're all on their phones, 
right? You see friends, they're just all, they're on their phones constantly. And I think your ability to have intentional time and conversations with the people that you're with. So have you seen that impact you at all? Or do you think you're, you've just known your friends for so long that it hasn't even, hasn't even phased you? No, I don't think I'm also just not someone I can't be friends with someone if it's not like a deep, meaningful connection. That's just not how I'm wired. Um, also, it's just like a job, like any other job. I'm not on my phone during... There's times where like an email is urgent and I have to do something, but like I'm not on my phone when I'm with my friends most of the time. I mean, every like if anything, like we're all taking photos of the food for an Instagram story or something. Right. No, I would say I have noticed that it like emotionally stunted me when I was younger because I was so focused on my career. So instead of dealing with things I should have dealt with at 19, 20, I'm now dealing with them at 23, 24 because I was just so career focused. And I don't think that really has anything to do with actually. No, I do think it has to do with social media because my job was pulling myself on camera and I felt like I couldn't have a bad day because then like the vlog wouldn't be good or the videos wouldn't be good and I couldn't actually work because it is reliant on me. So I think it's emotionally stunted myself in ways where like I just avoided things and I probably would have done that with any job. Um, but I don't think it's stunted like relationships at all, but I, I probably does for certain people. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it, it does. And I've definitely talked to to people that are on social media a lot they're like, man, like I just need to, to not use it as much. Like I can see it becoming addicting. And I've even said it myself at certain times where I'm like, gosh, my screen time this week is way too high. And like a lot of creators that I know, the one of the main reasons they got on social media is to turn some level of pain that they endured into some, some something meaningful and purpose, right? So did you did you find that with yourself that because you, like you said, you mentioned you were in court ordered therapy when, when you were in fifth grade. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't easy and everything that you saw with a divorce. Did you use like creating content as an outlet to heal from that as you look back? Yeah. So my like harder years would have been when I was around like 12, 13. And I was just going through a lot of stuff like a young kid should not be going through. And YouTube was my escape and my like safe place. So when I started my channel a few years after that, it was because I wanted to be that for other people. So like that was completely what it was. But yeah, it was definitely like, I I was definitely that. Like I wanted to do, I wanted to give back what I felt like I'd been given from the platform and more so the community on the platform. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I I can see that like with your, with your content now and that like a lot of what you talk about, it's really, it seems to me you're sharing like, some of the lessons you've learned in what you've gone through in, in your life. And then also like providing like real life insights on what you've done to heal, like in recent times. And one of the things I wanted to get into is you're very open about like when you're feeling off or when you're in a rut and then you're not, you're not just somebody who just vents on the internet. You talk about some of the things that you do to get out of that rut. So if you could just provide maybe a few things that like are your go-tos when you're feeling off, um, I think the audience would, would get a lot out of that. So this, again, a lot of this is comes from my dad. Like I, at a young age, when I was feeling ready to be like, do this. And it always helped. I will go through ruts, especially when your job is creative. I feel like it's, it's either easier to get into a rut or your rut affects your work more. I don't know which one it is, but a lot of what I do, getting movement is huge. I have like diagnosed anxiety. And if I'm not working out, like it, I, it gets really bad, but working out helps me a ton Eating healthy and clean helps me tremendously. Like I know these are not what people are going to want to hear, but just 
overall taking care of myself health-wise really helps. Getting into your routine. The past month I have been out I've been working nonstop and I working very hard, partying very hard. I've been traveling a ton. I've just been kind of all over the place. So this week I'm like, okay, I kind of feel a little bit off. I'm getting back into a routine. I want to get like 10,000 steps a day. Um, I want to be cooking from home. I just want to get back into like a healthy routine. So whatever that is for you, I mean, reading is a huge part of my routine and cooking from home, going on walks, again, working out, like it all goes back to like taking care of myself. And that's just been like a huge thing. But if I'm in a rut, a lot of journaling too, I, I just have tools that I know now to use and it helps me a lot. And sometimes it takes me, sometimes it takes me like two or three weeks, sometimes it takes me two or three days and then I'm just kind of feeling more myself. And I think it's it's good that you brought up fitness because I think that's a tool that is so underutilized and when it comes to like feeling better I mean I I don't know I find that whenever I'm feeling off you know just going out and taking my dog for a walk or just going for a run or whatever is something that is is crucial for me to to not let like a bad hour turn into a bad day or or a bad week and, and that sort of thing I think one of the other things too that is pretty inspiring to me about you is that you've created this this breadwinning housewife brand that honestly I was just like oh like this is awesome like I wonder how your husband feels about this like when I first met you and you're like well I'm like single and not ma- I've never been married so where did that idea come from because I think it's hilarious and I think even some of my personal training clients who are women I was like I got to get you this hat so where did that idea come from so it's not it doesn't literally mean that you are like a breadwinning housewife. Obviously, like I'm not a wife. The idea of it behind it, the true meaning is to like, just don't put yourself in a box. You can do and be whatever you want to be, like the both and whatever. But it did start in earlier in quarantine and COVID. Actually, no longer quarantine. We are in COVID. I had just bought a house and then I had gotten really into cooking, organizing, gardening, like everything that like a standard housewife organized, like everything that a standard housewife would be doing. I like thought I was Bob the Builder. Like I just, I was really doing everything. And a friend and I were catching up and she was asking like what I've been up to. And then I was like, I basically become a breadwinning housewife. Like that's what I've been doing. And then um, it kind of just like took off from there. Like I said it online and it was one of those things that just stuck. Like I am tagged in probably like a hundred stories a day of girls tagging and posting whatever. It doesn't mean that you need to be like, a housewife who's also making money. Like, that's not the point. It's like, you can be whatever you want to be. But yeah, that's kind of where it came from. And then we started coming out with like product and it's just like taken off a ton. It really is like a separate brand on its own. But yeah, it was just something like random that I said that just stuck. Yeah, it's funny. I was sent, I sent it to somebody the other day and I was like, hey, would you, would you wear this hat? And they were like, I'm not married. I'm like, well, she's not married either. So it's all good. <laughs> it's just funny. I've come across a lot of people that are older that have this negative perspective on creators, whether it's people who are active on TikTok, YouTube, you name it. And I think uh, clearly social media has some negative things about it that are justified, but I think there's a lot of positive things that come with it as well. So what do you think is like the biggest misconception about like somebody like yourself as a, as a creator in their 20s that you would want my audience to know? Something I've had to just like stop caring about over the years too, because, and I would say like the, the misconception is that like an influencer doesn't work or like, it's not a real job or it's not real work. And I'm like, I wouldn't have this team and like be in these meetings. And also they make a lot more money than like most people. Like there's a lot more behind the job. 
um, than just like, I think people like see like posting an Instagram photo. But yeah, I don't know. For me, it's something I just like have to like not care about. But I would say that the biggest misconception would be that people just like, oh, all they do is post an Instagram photo and make money. It's like a lot more than that. Right. I mean, that's that is the misconception, right? Because people are like, how do they make money off this? But they don't understand like the behind the scenes of the brand deals and the behind the scenes of like marketing meetings and podcasts and, and everything like that. And I just think that's something that it's the future. Right. Like it's the, it's the fortunate, unfortunate thing, however you want to look at it. And I think sometimes parents struggle because if you think about like yourself, if you were to go and ask your dad, like, hey, dad, like I want to learn how to to play basketball. He might be able to show you how to shoot a basketball. But if you're like, dad, I want to learn how to create content on YouTube. He's going to be like, wait, what? Like, I don't know how to do that. And so I think there's this like weird disconnect now between like our parents and us that they feel like a little like weird because they're like, well, I don't, I can't show my kid how to do this. Like I could anything else. And I just think it's, it's pretty fascinating. So where are you at like right now when it comes to, to dating? Cause I know that you said like this past year, you've really just taken some time off because of past relationships that you've been in. Like, are you currently still working on yourself? Are you looking to date? Like, where are you at with that part? Well, I also think you don't need to be in this like perfect place to date, but I just am like, it started with, I was like, okay, I want to like fix some things. And then I started loving my life single so much and having so much fun that I was like, I can't even imagine it. I'm sure if I met like the love of my life, things would change, but I'm just really happy. I'm young. I want, I mean, like I'm talking about getting a second place. Like I travel all the time. It's just like, probably at the very, very, very bottom of my priorities. I don't know. I'm just like having fun with my life now. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that a lot of people struggle with is embracing the single life. Like, and I think we've touched on this a few times is like, people don't like to be alone. And I think when people are alone and they're not comfortable with it, they end up like making bad decisions or seeking out like the wrong relationships and everything else that goes along with that. What have you done in your own life? So I guess the way I want to frame it is this, is that I know you're, you've been in therapy for, for a while and you're very active in that and it's had a big impact on your life. But I also think for people, therapy can be a crutch because I think that's important too. But I was asking you, what advice do you have for somebody, let's just say they, they want to go to therapy and they've already got their foot in the door to make their most out of that experience? You just have to be willing to actually work on it. I think for me, like obviously I, I pay for my own therapy and it's expensive. So that would be number one. I don't want to like keep wasting money. And also it's time and it's a lot of emotional energy. Therapy is also a very hard thing to do. It's not like you leave every time and you're like, I feel amazing. There are days that you do, but not every day. I don't know. I'm just always like, I feel like it's very apparent. I have this like inherent want to be better in my life and like want to like live the best life that I can. And I've always been that way. And it's been harmful in certain ways. But when it comes to therapy, like I love learning. I love growing. I'm very curious, which is like why I have podcasts. So with that, like I'm always asking for like practical, tangible things. But okay, well, I know that what that means, but like, what do you think I should be doing? Or also I do not lie to my therapist. I will give her every single perspective that I could think about from every other person. I don't hold anything back. And I think that that's like the number one thing I hear my friends be like, well, I told my therapist part of it. And I'm like, you're wasting time and money, like saying everything. Also, it's a safe space when your therapist isn't going to like laugh in your face. So just being brutally honest, but also looking for like very tangible, practical things to take home. And like, for example, I'm trying to think of something. So 
acting on out of fear, acting out of fear or like anxiety, if I'm spiraling and thinking, I've learned practical things that help me if I'm starting to spiral, that I don't act on things, I take deep breaths, like I've learned a lot of tools. But I think just really thinking about the time and the money that you are investing into this and not letting that just it just be like a gossip session. Like you can have that with your friends. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's that's really, really valuable information because I think at the end of the day, like there's a time and place, I think maybe like initially to vent. And just, I mean, there's definitely times where I've gone to therapy and all I needed was somebody just to listen to me and not judge me and, and just sit there. Right. But I would say like most of the time after like that, like after I get through that like initial phase, like I'm like, all right, what, what can I do? Like, how can I fix this? Like, what book do you recommend? What can I do differently? And then it puts the responsibility back onto me because I remember, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about therapy is that like if you go to therapy once a week, it's just, you're going to be fixed and people forget there's like 167 other hours during the week where you're not with your therapist that you're like forced to work on yourself. So we kind of touched on this a few minutes ago before we kind of went back to our original point. Like, what are some of the other things besides therapy that have really been like pivotal to improve your mental health? Or maybe when, when, when a listener calls or texts you or calls in and asks you about like how to improve their mental health, like what other things do you, do you, have you recommended to people? I feel like all of my answers are pretty much the same. It always goes back to like, working out, eating healthy, like things like that. So that obviously helps a ton. If I have a problem or I'm like, this is my issue. I need to go figure it out. I will go read everything I can about the topic. And I think that's like, gives me some like sense of control over the situation. One, like, even though it's not necessarily control, like that's what it feels like to me. But if I understand something, then I can fix it. So I just always will go, I'll find books, I'll find podcasts, I'll find whatever it is on, let's say it was attachment theory. Like I read attached, I listened to so many, I read, there's this other book, Amy Chan has like really good stuff on it. Like I just found all these like micro communities online as well that I learned a lot from. And that has helped me like mental health wise because I've been able to get into a better like space. I'm also really into brain health. So Brain health is really helpful. I've been getting into meditating, which like I should have done 15 years ago. So things like that, like there are definitely things that are not, they don't cost any money. Yeah. I mean, some of the, some of the best things for you or for your mental health, in my opinion, like you said, are, are free meditation, breath work, reading, listening to podcasts, exercise. And I know that I guess recently over the past, I would say a few weeks, you're really trying to dial in your fitness like even more. Like I know you're looking to, to find a trainer to improve your strength. I see you rocking an aura ring. Like what sparked that? Was just just something that just randomly were like, you know what? Like I really want to take better care of my health or I really want to just work on these areas. Like what sparked this change? It was more of just like changing up my routine than it was like taking it more seriously. Cause I wouldn't say it's even taking it more seriously than I like have been. But yeah, I think sometimes I just like switching things up. Like I always like hot Pilates is my main workout for my favorite thing that I do. I don't think I'll ever leave it, but I do just, I like experimenting and trying different things. So I think that was more of a, like, I'm just interested than it was like, I want to like get more serious. Right. Yeah. That makes sense because, and I think like switching up your routine, I think not getting caught up and doing the same thing over and over again can, can be super beneficial. I mean, not just for your physical health, but for your, for your mental health as well. 
And I guess the last thing I want to go into is is talking about like what's next for you because I know you have the I, I love you so much podcast. You've got the breadwinning house housewife brand, but now you're in the process of launching this this other brand. I believe it's called Oh Kind, right? If you could talk about that, like what inspired that and where what your plans are with it. So I have a clothing brand coming out in April that has been in the works seriously for probably like 10 months, but we've been talking about doing it since college. My business partner is actually a really good friend of mine. We interned together in college and then we just got really close. We were always paired because she's good at what I'm not and I'm good at what she isn't. So it like really works so well. It's like dream team kind of thing. She's also the only person that I would like work with in like a co-founder position. But yeah, it's clothing. In college, we wore matching like sweatsets all the time. And so we originally, before that was like very, I mean, I, don't, I hate the word saturated. Like I don't think that's an excuse, but like everyone was just doing it. So that was pre-pandemic and we wanted to do that. And then we just, I moved and things just changed. And then we kind of revisited the idea and we just no longer wanted to do like sweatsets. I say that as I'm wearing one, but it was just not what we wanted to do. So yeah, now we're doing uh, like matching. Uh, we are doing matching sets, but they're like more elevated matching sets. And yeah, that launches in April. Sweet. Well, I will make sure to include the link to to that in the show notes. So Kenzie, this has been awesome. I think people are going to get a lot out of this. You're just the uh, you're full of wisdom and insight, and you've just accomplished a lot given how old you are. And I think it's very impressive and inspiring. So if people want to connect with you, if they want to check out the podcast and everything you got going on, like what's, where's the best place for them to do that? Um, the podcast is the I Love You So Much podcast with Kenzie Elizabeth. Every other handle is Kenzie Elizabeth, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. And then my TikTok is Kenzie the Texan. Why is your TikTok different? Um, just because I felt like that was the only other username or the only other thing I could have like a fun username on. And I'm pretty sure Kenzie Elizabeth was taken. Yeah, she's like American American Idol. I saw. Oh so yeah. Sad. Oh my God. I know. I mean, I when you said that to me yesterday, I'm like, I've been getting Google alerts for it. I don't even have a Google alert on my name. I don't know why. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I will be I will be sure to include the links to the podcast and your social media in the show notes. And once again, wanted to thank you for coming on. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Kenzie said about her journey with relationships. Maybe it was something that she said about mental health. Maybe it was something that she said about therapy. Maybe it was something that she said about how she gets out of a rut. Whatever it was, tag her and tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.